Hello, I hope you all enjoyed the jingle that has been sorely, sorely missed <laughs> over the past few weeks. We respond to consumer feedback. Yeah. Well, sometimes we do. Especially whenever it's very close. <laughs> close to the source. <laughs> um, so we're we're looking at the last, last in our Advent series of yeah. Christmas in the Old Testament. That was four weeks. Mm. Sort of, you blew through it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely flew by, didn't it? And um, I felt like we could have done more. Well, maybe the congregation didn't feel this way. I felt like we could have done more. I would have enjoyed doing more, but there you go. We always feel like we could do more. Yeah. I think, <laughs> well, we'll see what people thought of the six points on Sunday. Some people <laughs> might be like, nope. Yeah, feel free to send your comments in. Yeah. Um, so you talked, you know, at the start about what makes a great gift. I did laugh out loud. I think it was muffled behind my mask, but it's only a great gift if you receive the gift. <laughs> it's just made me laugh. <laughs> just like, yeah, I can't be happy for other people if they're getting a great gift. Well, yeah, I wasn't quite trying to say that, but I mean, it's, it's the best gift of all if I receive it, isn't it? So yeah, that's, that's the point. True. Um, so what, what would be a great gift to get someone if you wanted to encourage someone in their faith this Christmas? Yeah, I like that. Nice application of the point there, Dave. Uh, yeah, good question. Um, that got me thinking a bit when you said you were going to ask that one. Uh, two things sprung to mind. What gift you could give to encourage someone in their faith. And uh, th- there's more and more people in the bridge starting to read the Bible together, yeah, which is really encouraging. But what I often hear from people, maybe it's the same for you, is that people are trying to read through their Bibles, uh, but some they're often reading bits that are just like, this is a bit of a slog. I don't really know what this is about. Um, and rather than buying lots of individual commentaries, some of which are great, some of which are a bit hard going, I think something like a really good study Bible could be a, a great gift and a huge help for people reading through their Bibles next year. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Um, you have the ESV one or the... Yeah, well, my my two favourites, there's quite a few good study Bibles out there. My two go-tos are ESV study Bible and the Zondervan study Bible, which is like a newer NIV study Bible. Oh, I see. So like in terms of in like weaponry so what's your primary and what's your like pistol your secondary at your side ah good one oh, well actually the, the Zondervan study bible has now become my although ESV is still my favourite version the oh. Zondervan study bible which is NIV has become my favourite that's my go to because the notes are great yeah. really good application notes in places too um, Don Carson's the editor of that one so I'd, I'd say that's my primary and then my secondary is the very very solid secondary of the ESV study bible so I think that's hugely helpful. The other thing is, linking back to what I said about people reading the Bible together, best one of the best presents you could give somebody is offer to meet them regularly during next year and read the Bible together because it's such a blessing to do that. Yeah. Just to say, hashtag not an ad for all those things. We're not sponsored by no, Crossway or something. Unfortunately, we're not sponsored, no. But, but if they want to sponsor, if you're listening <laughs> out there, we'll, uh, uh, well, uh, ask us. There's other good study Bibles out there, but they're, they're the main two I'd mention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great. So, what gift would you love this Christmas? Matt? Are you asking for you, Dave, or just uh, just, just curiosity? Like if there's interested listeners <laughs> want to send their pastor a sneaky gift, well, it's books. It's always books for me. I I made the comment on Sunday about I think I got a little laugh from the congregation about Kath giving me a gem for Christmas as if I was hinting. Yeah. Uh, when we got home, she then joked to me that actually if if she ever did buy me a gem and wrap it up, well, I'd open it up and I'd look at her and say, "Well, where are my books?" <laughs> so I think it shows you where my priorities are. As I've always got this big wish list of books I want to get, um, and I take ages to get through them, but it, it I always love a book. That's good. Good from Kath there to like know 
He would not like it. Yeah, she knows what, me too well. What a waste. Well, except I did say afterwards, I'd be quite chuffed because I'd say, great, how much can I sell this gem for so I can go and buy some books? <laughs> so either way, I'd be happy. Very good. So you're first of six points, <laughs> the gem. Um, I can't help feeling there's a little bit of a dig about six points here, Dave. No, no, no. You said it was to do with the gem, wasn't it? That's yeah. why I had six points. Different um, facets. Yeah. Facets? Hmm. Okay, cool. Facets. Um, I was just trying to figure out what that word was. Facets. I was like, faucet? Isn't that like <laughs> something in the toilet? Um, so, what am I talking about? Um, it's spiralling. Yeah, there's a key theme in our Christmas theme this year, and that is about Jesus being the light. Mm. You know, we, We're very familiar with that term, but it's quite conceptual, like Jesus being our light. So, mm. what are some of the key ways Jesus is the light in our lives? Yeah. Uh, Glad to be asked because there, there was only so much time to unpack that on Sunday. Um, it is a good question because otherwise we could just go away with a general sense that Jesus is light in some vaguely nice, comforting way without considering exactly what that means. Um, the fact is that the idea of him being light probably carries a range of meanings. But the best thing to do, of course, is to look at how the words used in the immediate context. So for me, it was helpful to think about the circumstances of Isaiah chapter 9. And also this Christmas and coming up to Cows in the Car Park, I've been thinking about Jesus as the light breaking into the darkness in uh, John chapter 1. So I kind of try and answer that question from those two contexts. In the Isaiah context, where there's this growing threat and gloom and distress, what that says to me is that Jesus is the light there in Isaiah 9 counteracts all that. And instead what he brings is joy and peace. Mm. So... um. In broader context, of course, light also stands for the presence of God in the Bible, which is, of course, what Jesus is. He's God with me. So Isaiah is telling me that Jesus brings joy and peace um, as God with me. Um, And then when you look at John chapter 1, the same applies in John chapter 1. It's also interesting there that we've got the theme of creation. So Jesus is the, the word, the logos. He's present at creation, brings everything into being. So the fact that Jesus in that context is called the light also means that he comes to bring light out of darkness and life where there's death. So just as he brought life at creation, he still brings life, but now it's talking also about spiritual life. Um, So when we read that life was the light of men, Mm. it's talking about the fact that Jesus brings spiritual life. So both these passages remind me that Jesus is the one who brings physical life into existence, but also especially the one who brought me new spiritual life. And, And as I walk in the darkness of this world, he also brings me comfort and joy uh, in the face of the gloom and the distress in this world. Because this, this world is horrible sometimes. It's yeah. dark, isn't it? And he brings comfort and joy into that. I, I'm just sort of thinking this now. But like the people at the Bridge Church are going to be so sick of hearing about light. Mm. Because this Thursday night, the men are going to hear about Jesus being the light of the world the curry night. Yeah. And Sunday we're thinking about the light in the darkness with the kids and mm. then the following week we're doing it again <laughs> <laughs> yeah but on the other hand just looking at Jesus as the light in just those two passages you can see how rich an idea it is can't you yeah. so there's different strands to it oh yeah which hopefully will bring out to some degree won't we yeah absolutely like um, even the sort of just the fact that light cannot be overcome by darkness like yeah. there's just so much to, to think about whenever yeah in Isaiah it says that a light has dawned like the light's not being overcome my, my main problem is Jess did the talk the the wreath making yeah. on Sunday and it was such an excellent short talk I just so tempted to just pinch it and use that for the 19th 
but I figure a lot of people will notice if I do that, so I better mm. not. Well, you, if you like Thursday nights talk, like, well, yeah, I might do the same with that one. That might be an issue as well. <laughs> um, so on Sunday you mentioned about the prophetic past tense. Yeah. This is for me, maybe not for the listeners. Could you explain that a little bit more? Like, could you give another example? Um, sure. Yeah. Because um, it hurt my head whenever I heard it. I can't remember where the, the commentaries I read this last week or so didn't actually use that phrase. It's a phrase I picked up from elsewhere, so I know other commentators have used it. I just can't remember which ones. Yeah. And I didn't get much to spend much time on that either. So again, good to be asked. Um, prophetic past tense is a phrase that some people use to talk about things that are prophesied uh, in the Old Testament as being in the future, but they're actually written down in the past tense. Or okay. actually, as I was brushing up on this this week, because um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, uh, technically it's not the past tense, because Hebrew doesn't have the past tense in the same way as English does. It's technically the perfect tense. Um, for the, the geeks out there who want to know that sort of thing, that, that's normally associated with actions that have already occurred. Okay. But to me, that's the past tense. Yeah. So... The Old Testament often does that when God is speaking to Moses, when um, uh, God is giving prophets a word to bring to the people. Sometimes this perfect past tense will be used because the thing is so certain that it's going to happen that God and the prophet are talking about it in the past tense like it's already done, <laughs> already job done. So that's what the prophetic past tense is. I mean, I've got, I could give references if people want them, but it crops up in Amos. Um, elsewhere in Isaiah and often when God is speaking to Moses in Exodus and in Numbers he's speaking about things that are going to happen but as if they've already happened because they're so sure so it would be like me saying I have eaten chips tonight yeah because I'm so confident I'm having chips yeah. tonight yeah <laughs> okay like a silly example I'm and, it, well, and it's, it. a, it's a bit like when someone someone says to you Dave, when I say Dave this often happens Dave can you do this for me and you say it's done consider it done Dundee. it's kind of like that yeah yeah like there's yeah they've already won the match like it's so obvious yeah okay I get it now um, <laughs> so you reminded us of the context in your second point that they might have thought that this light being dawning was going to be Prince Hezekiah mm. I think the way I've structured this question is a bit confusing but would an old test would a Jew look back to texts like Genesis 3 and Psalm 2 which you mentioned on Sunday and be you know looking at Hezekiah and be like this must be the one or sort of the gradual revelation stuff because I mm. think if I was a Jew you know if Hezekiah wasn't a light like wasn't helpful mm. be like oh well that was a false prophecy do you know what I mean? Yeah I, so yeah, I, see, I do see what you mean um, I think the short answer is that there would have been Jews who would have heard these prophecies and would have got the gist of it and would have trusted. Now, I think going back to what we looked at in Malachi and it comes up in Isaiah 2, I think those people would have been the remnant, those people who truly trusted the Lord and his promises. So even if they didn't get all the details, yeah. I don't think they... We were all tempted to sometimes, aren't we? But they would essentially say what we say sometimes, I think, which is this is God's word, I believe it, I might not understand all the details, but I'm trusting he's going to come through on that. Now, they might have been a bit confused, maybe, so is this talking about Hezekiah, or is this somebody else? But I think there's enough places in the Old Testament, Genesis 3.15, Psalm 2, like you mentioned, other places too, that the believing remnant would have seen enough of the promised Messiah, that when prophecies like this came up, yeah. they would say, oh, I think that's another one of those that's pointing further ahead than just something that's going to happen, like, 
next week or next year. So they may not have understood all the details uh, and they certainly wouldn't have had the degree of detail that we have from a New Testament point of view, but I think they would have seen it. And you mentioned about scripture being, um, uh, was it the word progressive used? That scripture is progressive revelation. Well, I do believe scripture is progressive revelation in the sense that the picture becomes clearer and clearer the more we get more information. And obviously with the coming of Jesus, but in another sense, it's not because Jesus has always been clearly prophesied from Genesis three fifteen all the way through, and God put these things in the Bible not just for New Testament believers, but for the Old Testament remnant too. The Bible is progressive revelation in terms of the amount of detail, but it's not progressive in the object of faith because the object of faith has always been hmm. the Messiah, Jesus. Is that as as you've talked? I was sort of thinking there about how. John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and they say to him, mm. are you are you the one who is to come or should yeah. we expect someone else? Which in some way sort of answers my own question that mm. people were like, is this the the mm. light dawning, the promised yeah. prince, or is there another one coming? So they, they got the promises, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, and I know that's a difficult passage to interpret, but I think a lot of commentators would say at that point, John himself is wobbling a bit and having doubts. Yeah. So even John the Baptist. Yeah. Uh, so he knew it was prophecy, but we can also have doubts and questions sometimes. Yeah. Okay. We then, another one of Jesus' names was about him being a counsellor. Mm. And you said, uh, like, Jesus should always be our first, you know, counsellor. Yeah. Um. How do we get the balance right, though? Because, you know, we'd also go to other Christians for counsel. Like, yeah. you go to Jesus first, but then I also want to talk to other Christians. What, what do mm. I do there? Uh, yeah, when you told me you were going to ask that one, I, I had to have a bit of a think about that one. Um, what's going through my head when I'm thinking about that? It, it helps it helps me, I realise, to think in terms of the covenant relationships I find myself in. Okay. So the primary covenant relationship in my life is with God through faith in Jesus. You know, I'm in a new covenant relationship with the living God. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously going to him, going to the Lord, going to Jesus is my first priority for counsel. But then after that, as I'm thinking thinking this through, I'm in, in a, what's called a covenant relationship as well with Kath as my wife. She's my wife by covenant. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, well, after that, I'm in a covenant relationship in a more general sense with my brothers and sisters in the church. And then lastly, as kind of the, the sort of ripples go outwards, I, I've got some wonderful friends who aren't Christians. I'd certainly go for them, uh, to them for counsel about some yeah. things. Uh, I love talking to them. But that's not then a covenant type relationship. So that kind of helped me, kind of gives me a priority order, reminds me that whatever's in my heart, I've, I've got to first of all take it to the Lord. That's the thing I do really badly. Yeah. I often jump to talking to Kath about it or a close Christian friend. And then they, they're like, have you prayed about this? Um, actually. So I need to keep relearning that. First of all, I take everything to the Lord. There's nothing I can't take to him. After that is Kath, but even with Kath, I might not tell her absolutely everything. I'm not advocating secrets from spouses here, yeah. but obviously in the context of ministry, there'd be some details of yeah. things that I wouldn't talk to Kath about. Yeah. Um, uh, but whilst there's clearly a great gulf between the Lord and Kath, yeah. <laughs> she's second on my list in that sense. After that, I need to make sure that I'm in good relationships with Christian friends so I get wise counsel from them. I, I read a, a book that was given to me recently by um, David Polison uh, about Christian counseling, lovely little book. And he's make, he always made this point, um, David Polison, before he 
went to glory that we're, we're all in Christian counseling in some way. Yeah. We may not be specialists, we may not be trained, but we all give each other biblical counsel by bringing Jesus into our conversations. And mm. you've got to make sure you've got Christians in your life. I've got Christians in my life who I can go to for that counsel. So you can see where I'm going with this. There's a kind of a priority order there. I think for most of us is the problem. The most of us, the problem is that we come straight to our spouse or our best friend or our pastor, maybe, mm without first bringing everything to the Lord as our first and, and most wonderful counsellor. Um, but I'm also so grateful he gives me Christians in my life who can give me counsel by speaking the word into my life uh, and into conversation and reminding me what um, the word of God says to me. Hmm. So if we are all <coughs> counsellors, how, how should or how does the Bible inform the way we counsel one another? Uh, yeah, I think that's a really important question i don't think we need to be quoting chapters and verses to each other all the time sometimes it's important to but i don't think we need to be doing that um or even feel that we need to bring the bible to bear directly on every single point of conversation all the time so we're not always i think sometimes we need to be preaching to each other but we're not always doing that but the bottom line is that our role as christian friends christian pastors is to bring jesus into every conversation that's also one of david polison's phrases mm. by the way um uh and to do this, we need to be regularly in the Word. Yeah. Because you know, if I'm in the Word regularly and loving the Word and what Jesus is saying to me, it's going to come out of my conversation yeah, with true. my Christian friends. Yeah. It's it's funny. This isn't really... This is a biblical language or imagery, but I've been having some heart issues recently, and sometimes Amy will say to me, like, how's your heart? And I'll be like... <laughs> Like physical or spiritual, <laughs> and she's like, "Why not both?" Like, yeah, talk, exactly. talk yeah. about both. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, you don't want to be super spiritual, like, in some ways. But actually, sometimes saying like those sorts of biblical language is quite helpful, isn't it? The imagery Definitely. rather than yeah, like being that. like, "Oh, the proverb says, uh, question a friend." Like, <laughs> that's what I'm doing now. Like, there's casual ways to do it where it's yeah. not. Yeah. weird and intense yeah good good one though Amy that's a good catchphrase yeah. yeah why not both good job um so you mentioned how this was on the counseling thing as well wasn't it that um the bible tells us our future is certain mm. I, I feel we keep circling back around to this sort of question but how does the certainty of future help our lives now mm. um yeah because it's, it's more about just knowing the facts that I'm going to glory one day isn't it because we can be quite glib about that and yeah. it doesn't actually affect day-to-day -day life a lot but i think that is the bottom line i because of because because god's given me his word i know how the story ends mm. i know where i'm going so i don't know every twist and turn along the way but i i know that at the end of the journey uh, i get to glory and i know that jesus is my shepherd leading me securely there uh, we, we were chatting about this earlier when we were offline that we, we were reading a, a passage um a chapter about glorification about getting resurrection bodies uh and i think it's when when life's more difficult or when you're conscious of your body not working like it should you're conscious of aging truth become more precious than like the fact we get a resurrection body yeah um, so it's almost like it's almost more of a challenge sometimes to work these truths into our lives and preach them to ourselves when life's going well yeah that actually now isn't everything my home is to heaven um and that's the big picture and that's how it helps me in life now if I keep reminding myself of this so the, on to one of your other points from Sunday was about how like Jesus is almighty God mm. and yet he's also the baby in the manger so how can he be simultaneously you know 
upholding the word or the world by the word of his power and yet he needs his mum and dad to you know feed him and yeah that just seems like so contradictory in some ways yeah well short answer is uh don't know okay um slightly longer answer which pastors and theologians often come up with is that there's some paradox here some apparent contradiction which obviously isn't really a contradiction but i again i guess i need to flesh it out a bit more than that uh one of the things always helps me to remember when i have to consider questions like that how could he be the logos the word of god sustaining the whole universe and at the same time be dependent on his mum yeah is to remember that jesus was and is one person with two natures that's always remind myself one person two natures yeah he's one glorious person but with a perfect divine nature and a perfect human nature um those two natures aren't are distinct they're not mixed up together in some weird way but they are also wonderfully mysteriously and perfectly united so one person two natures helps me so why is that because um there are certain things that jesus did not have the capacity to do as a human being but he did have the capacity to do them as god so as a human being in a manger he was clearly weak yeah um and as human being only he could not sustain the universe by the word of his power but he never ceased to be totally god and as god he wasn't is capable of continuing to hold the universe together by the word of his power now how that then mysteriously but perfectly combines in one person that's where our brains and our hearts start to get stretched and ache uh this is what the word clearly teaches us so that doesn't explain all the details of course it does help me i keep circling back to one person two natures yeah as that wesley him isn't it you know veiled in flesh the godhead see um or this is a much much stupider example but um chili con carne means chili with meat (laughs) and jesus is god con carne because he's God in God in the flesh, in God flesh. meat, yeah, yeah. flesh. Yeah. Which might be people might be like that's horribly sacrilegious, Dave. But it was just that sort of imagery that he's he's both mm. he's shocked both hand. He's yeah. fully God, fully man. Yeah, but even like the two of the the Carol veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. That's where we've got to keep going back to Scripture. So that that's a wonderful line. I love yeah. reading it, singing it. On the other hand, you, you could hear that. You could hear well, that. Father, think. Son, and Spirit are all in the yeah. body. Not helpful. Yeah. And another way you could mis- you could misunderstand that is veiled in flesh, as in one of the ancient heresies. What he, he had a human body, but he didn't have a human nature yeah. and soul. But he did. I mean, I don't get it. But he had perfectly and fully a divine nature, which he didn't lose. But also a complete human nature, not just a human body, hmm. but human mind and soul and spirit as well. Hmm. Oh, awesome. Got smacking. Sorry, like I I did that thing. That really annoys me when people do it to me, where you were saying a thought and I finish your thought, and you're like, "No, that's not what I was going to say." <laughs> but no, but it was, but it was a relevant point. It was a relevant thought. So yeah, that as well. Apologies. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that Jesus' fatherly love is ours, mm-hmm. even if we don't experience it, um, which in itself is just a very confusing concept, isn't it? Jesus' yeah. love being fatherly. That's the father, but, yeah. yeah. Um, this is so often true in our lives where we know things in our head but our heart almost overrules it like Mm. i don't feel loved what do we do in that situation um well people have probably noticed by now if they've heard me preach much or listen to these podcasts much that a regular theme for me is that in certain circumstances 
I know to steal a Martin Lloyd Jones phrase that I, I need to preach certain truths to myself. Yeah. So when I know in my head they're true, but I don't feel them, I need to pray to God for help and ask the Holy Spirit to help me experience them and know they're true. But I need to be preaching to myself as well yeah. um, and get people to preach it to me. Yeah. So that that goes back to the, the counsel thing. Mm-hmm. If I've got good Christian friends I can go to for counsel, when I say to them, you know, if I say, Dave, I know God's my father that jesus is my comforter my counselor but i just it just doesn't feel like it this month yeah that i've got someone who's gonna lovingly and in a wise way they're gonna they're gonna preach that truth to me yeah i'm not just gonna smack it be like <laughs> well it's true <laughs> get with the program yeah well it, go to use wisdom it's like it's like when someone's really going through it and and someone quotes romans eight twenty eight to them and says well all things work together for the you know You're there's a right. time and there's a way of doing it yeah. but we do need that we joking apart we do need um that Christian counsel. So preach it to myself and have Christian friends who are going to tell me that too. At some point, I just have a feeling someone's going to misquote that to me in my life and I'm going to throw a haymaker and say, <laughs> well, God's going to work that for your good <laughs> at some point. Uh, I think that might be a church discipline issue if you yeah, do that, it Dave. Some pro- pro- it might be. <laughs> but I can identify with the, the feeling, probably. <laughs> uh, okay. So, last one. 25 minutes in. Um, how does Jesus be in... That's my cue not to be too long in my last answer. <laughs> yeah. okay. um, you know, Christmas is often a great time, but it's also a difficult time where family relations can be yeah. stretched. Yeah. So how does Jesus be in the, our Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace help during yeah. difficult relationships? It's a really apt question because I'm conscious of that. Christmas is portrayed as this lovely, peaceful, relaxing time. And for a lot of people and families, it's, it's, it's just not. It's quite a stressful time. So uh, caveat, before I start answering this, in case my parents and my in-laws are listening to this, I'm not talking specifically about them. <laughs> so in theory. <laughs> in, in theory, hypothetically. In the world. Um, I think it can help me to prayerfully monitor, knowing that Jesus is Prince of Peace and I belong to him, that helps me then to prayerfully monitor my words and actions so I'm not reacting in a bad way when I might get provoked or stressed. Um, they provoke you. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying this hypothetical. But, but by God's grace, I'm I, I've you. got, I've got <laughs> here's, here's how it works out in my head. By God's grace, I have total peace now with the God of the universe, and that is meant to work its way out in my horizontal relationships. Even when the other the person on the other side of things might not be acting as reasonably as I would like, hypothetically, hypothetically, <laughs> I be, I belong to the Prince of Peace, and I'm called to be a, a peacemaker. You know, bless the peacemakers. Yeah. I think that applies in various ways. And for a lot of us, at Christmas time, yeah. we need to hang on to that. Yeah, I. It's often I've been doing Colossians at Resource, and it's forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. So it's like mm. be peaceful because you have peace with the Lord. It's yeah. so often yeah. the motivation, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. Okay, that's that's us. So you're gonna just to check if you're gonna put the jingle in this week, yeah? Yeah, I'm okay. gonna keep your wife happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. you said it. You let it slip out. Was your, oh, you're in big trouble uh, now. Well, I'm, cats, no, I'm in big trouble the now. The cats are the bag. Um, <laughs> enjoy. Uh, see you all either Thursday night or Sunday night. Yeah. See you then. Bye.